0: Hello. It is Monday, the first of October, Monday afternoon in Sydney, Australia. Here at the It's a Monkey podcast headquarters. Beautiful day outside. It's actually a public holiday today, but uh, we never stop working here. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us. It is episode number five. James, hello. Have you missed me?
1: Oh yeah, it's been it's been tough here. How's the uh, how's the jet lag going?
0: The jet lag hasn't kicked in yet, so hopefully it will uh, hold off. Um, If you've been following this podcast, you might have noticed that I was in the US for a little while. We did the last episode four from uh, the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference. If you want to go and have a listen to episode four and you haven't heard it yet, we did some interviews there. We have a great show coming up for you today. As usual, we are going to kick off with some of the latest tech economy news. then. we have an interview with Sheena Medina, who's the ex-social media manager at Fast Company Magazine, a terrific magazine, a longtime founder fan of that magazine. And we have a terrific interview with the developer, or he's, um, what's his, uh, he's a lead engineer or something like that? Lead, lead engineer on the Discover tab on Twitter. So we have an interview with Adam Shuck who has been working in the New York City office of Twitter, even though Twitter is based in San Francisco, the HQ is in San Francisco. They do have a New York City engineering office, I believe, and sales there as well. And we caught up with Adam in New York um, about a week ago, and I asked him... Uh, what it's like to work at Twitter and what he's been working on. And that's a terrific interview. So that's all coming up on the It's a Monkey podcast. Remember, you can tweet us at monkeypodcast. You can also email us at podcast at com. You can send us an audio file with some comments, um, questions. Uh, You can send us some feedback. Thanks for all the feedback that has been coming through and some of the suggestions. Um, We do take them all on board. If you want to hear something in particular, let us know. Let's get straight into it. Some news of the week, of course, the big news over the last week or so has been the Apple Five, the Apple iPhone Five, has been released.
1: Sure has. It's the the latest in their their uh, upgrades, their line of releases. Um, and so obviously the Apple the iPhone Five came out, but uh, also it brought uh, iOS six, which is the big the big upgrade to their operating system. Um, it's probably one of the the least impressive feature-wise, I guess. Um, you don't have any iPhone devices or anything with iOS, do you? Actually? No,
0: I, d- I don't use iOS. I've got an old iPod that I use frequently, but um, not an iPhone.
1: Uh, um, I'm, I'm still stuck on the the old 3GS, so I haven't got the latest tech, but uh, I can still run the latest update. Um, but obviously the big the big drama that's come out of that is their... Uh, their upgrade to the, to the map system, where they've uh, ditched uh, Google Maps and gone with their own version of the mapping system. And uh, there's been a, quite an uproar about, um, well, just the fact that it's, it's quite obviously worse in, in many cases. I mean, Google's had a long, long head start on that.
0: Why did they? I mean, I, I find it quite a curious decision that, uh, um, is, it, is it purely a political
1: decision? Uh, there's there's quite a lot. Obviously, that has been written about it. I mean, um, Appleash had a year on their their contract with Google for the mapping thing. So in some ways, they actually, uh, from from what I've read, they've actually taken Google by surprise and uh, and cut the ties a little early. Um, uh, there, there was some stuff around, um, you know, Google has continuously updated their mapping platform on Android. They've got uh, new features like the turn-by-turn navigation and that kind of stuff. But there were certain elements of that that they wanted Apple to integrate into iOS, but they didn't. They wouldn't give them all of it. Right. So there were some things that like they weren't going to let them have voice navigation in turn-by-turn. So they have turn-by-turn, but they couldn't have the voice Component of it, so like when you're driving, you can have the the spoken word coming at you.
0: Um, I use the Android apps, the Google the Google Maps mm. on Android, and I do notice they actually push uh, f- very frequent updates. Mm.
1: Yeah, you just don't get that on iOS. It's the mapping app is being fairly stagnant. Um, uh, the, app, the mapping app actually. Uh, was actually written by Apple, which a lot of people don't don't realise, on iOS. So they use Google's data, but they use it through the API, not it wasn't actually the original Maps app, even though it was all Google data. It wasn't written by Google, it was written by Apple. Um, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people criticise... Uh, Apple for I mean obviously it's obviously it's a business reason there some there was some sort of terms of the deal you know we never gonna never going to know what it is but there was some reason why they obviously decided to cut the ties um, you know a lot of people they, have,
0: they would have paid for that data right oh yeah definitely yeah um,
1: well actually it's it's hard to know I don't know it's hard to know Apple, they do Google does release a lot of their mapping stuff for free and maybe they were hoping that uh, they could hook Apple on and maybe this was the the deal being renegotiated at, at some mm, high cost possibly. that they wouldn't do but a lot of people have criticized apple for uh you know relying on google in the first place but i mean if you think about it when when the iphone launched you know whatever however many years ago it was you know would it have been the same piece of technology without that really awesome app, app mapping solution um and obviously they it's it takes an awful lot to build a mapping solution and uh and by using Google's, they got a, a big head start in the smartphone arena. Um, so you know the, the iPhone probably wouldn't have been what it what it was if they hadn't relied on Google at the start.
0: And the interesting thing is the the Google Maps technology was uh, evolved out of the Google Sydney office, didn't
1: it? Yeah, sure did. Well, there was the there was Australian company actually. They. Um, uh, they uh they were at sydney university not long uh not long before i was there actually and then they got bought out uh they actually started the the project through the uni or they they left and they went to, did it on the side something like that and uh yeah google bought them and then all of their mapping stuff um slowly evolved out of that and obviously it's a, a quite a different animal these days all of the components of you know street view and uh and uh, and the, the plane flyovers and everything they do, and now they're moving into the indoor stuff. But I believe
0: uh, there's an underwater view now. Oh, really? Well. I haven't heard That's, about that. Um, yeah, I haven't read. I just, saw, I just saw a headline for it. I haven't uh, actually exp- um, looked into that, but that, that looks pretty interesting. Wow, that would be really interesting. Yeah, because the, the ocean's what the big, the big unknown of the world. A- <laughs> absolutely. And I, I believe the Google Maps team in Sydney landed up, a lot of them being the Google Wave team, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. The Maps was still um, segmented. I think it's now
1: across the whole company. It's just because it's such a core part of their, um, their offering. I think it's spread across all their offices, and they've got a huge numbers of uh, people on it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a step step down. I, I tried to avoid uh, upgrading my iPhone for a little while, but that, that little red alert kept on bugging me, so I ended up upgrading and... Uh, and yeah it's definitely it's definitely much harder to use I end up using the the web app version of Google Maps now instead of the the native ones
0: well well, apparently Apple are telling their own users to use the web app version of Google Mm -hmm. Maps now I mean I mean I think that's probably the more interesting issue is uh, you know them releasing a product that seems to have been you know quite premature that's not typically Apple's strategy
1: Uh, yeah
0: potentially I mean arguably Siri was
1: was pretty similar it's quite a premature piece of technology in that it's, you know, (laughs) debatably useful. Um, Yeah, it's it's hard to know. I mean, there's obviously a big, uh, a huge number of complaints about it now, but, you know, if Apple has worked on it for two, three years, you know, it's going to be a very different product and they have all these people using these iPhone devices and they have all this technology there where people can report errors and they can upgrade their data um, and I'm sure it will just continue to get better and I'm sure they've just thrown a huge number of people at this problem um, they're obviously not going to turn back and go back to Google um, they've, they've migrated a long way away and all the internal apps will uh, that use mapping will use their new maps, Apple Maps supposed Google Maps so um, yeah, it's uh, the beginning of uh, another, another arms race
0: there's a lot of politics in San Francisco and Silicon Valley between the tech companies, it's um they collaborate, they compete, they, they, it's, it's, it's interesting, but... Sometimes they're I, friends, sometimes they're enemies. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, the, it's all in, generally within good spirit, and hopefully the competitive environment ultimately means a better result for the consumer and the end user. Yeah, we can't complain
1: um, that we have more choices, I guess. So, um, Although
0: I do miss my native
1: native maps on the iPhone.
0: Well, i'm sure um i'm sure people will work out how to hack it um, you know yeah well actually,
1: you, you can get it back but you have to jailbreak it so but you, you can do that even on the latest version so if you want to do it you can
0: you're listening to kevin garber and james peter on the it's a monkey podcast we try to get it out once a week We've been a little bit slack because I'm traveling. I was traveling. Um, now James is gonna be away, but we'll really try to keep it at once a week. Uh, we talk about everything related to the tech economy. We are the co-founders of 89N, 89N being the home of a couple of products, Tour Car, Manage Flitter, Check Dog. So we live, eat and breathe tech startups, the tech economy. Um, we love it, we love covering these topics for you. Um, we are growing in the user base. Um, mainly, people seem to be listening to us from Australia and the States, but we uh, have all sorts of other countries. I saw interestingly, James, you might not have picked it up yet, but um, we received a paid customer on managed Flitter yesterday from Mongolia.
1: Oh, wow. Wouldn't have thought that uh, Twitter usage would be particularly big, but uh, I guess yeah. it's a global, global system, the internet.
0: Yeah, so you know, I saw this domain register through on .mn, and I thought .mn, haven't seen that one before. And I googled it, and um, there it was Mongolia. So yeah, we truly, we truly are global. Some other stories happening this week: Facebook. Now, Facebook is always in the news, um, often for the reasons they prefer not to. But it seems like some people claim that on their timeline going back to 2010, 2009, 2008, some of their inbox messages have been exposed on their wall. Mm, It's a scary thought. (laughs) It's a scary thought, and I actually checked mine, and it doesn't seem to be anything. It's hard to tell, but what Facebook did come out and say is that at that time, people used the walls, each other's walls, quite differently to how they use it now. They used to use it a lot more liberally, almost as a de facto messaging service. Um, And they say people don't remember how they used to use it, and that's actually what they're seeing, is that they did actually used to use each other's walls in that way.
1: Oh, okay, so there wasn't any kind of uh, privacy release, as far as you know. Look,
0: the official line from Facebook is that they have not seen one genuine problem with that. Now, I reached out to a couple of my friends who were posting on their facebook appropriately saying check it and you know my inbox messages have been exposed and i double checked with a few of them and they promised me they said they are messages that they are 100 percent sure were private messages that have been exposed on their walls so Hmm. you would think facebook with all their smarts you know would have picked it up and would have you know come clean about it i think people do forget how they use things i think there is a possibility that people did used to be a bit more liberal with the way they used to. i do remember people used to write on each other's walls a lot more than they do now
1: yeah it's true it does uh, thinking about it yeah it was a very different usage i mean these days if you want to talk to somebody you probably you know use the messaging system or use you know direct messages private messages whereas yeah you know four four years ago whatever it was i can definitely remember people writing you know they want to get in contact if they want to write a one-to-one message they would just do it on your wall whereas that's kind of not a that's almost a social faux pas these days. So. Yeah,
0: so it has evolved. So, yeah, and and I think it would be a pretty easy thing for Facebook to check that hasn't gone wrong. You know, in the in the scheme of technical challenges, they could, they could just really double check that everything's okay in terms of the permissions, etc.
1: Yeah, it would be stupid stupid for them to lie to because i um, if it had generally gone wrong, I'm sure somebody would be able to find proof of it.
0: Well, that's what someone said on the TechCrunch article that was published. Someone commented, um, "That's look." No one's posted a screenshot mm. of something that's clearly, y- you know, was a, pr- a personal message. So we'll, tr- we'll track that story. And, um, you know, Facebook's always in the news. I, th- I think their share price has come back down a little bit. Have you mm. followed that? No, I haven't, no. I think it's about back down, I think, to to 20 i saw an analyst come out and say he he fairly prices it at at 15 but another interesting yeah. facebook story that came out they did launch some new monetization over the last day of some some monetizing gifts yes, yeah, yeah yeah i read a bit about that um
1: yeah i mean facebook's quite a big conjure these days for wishing people happy birthday so you know it's uh, with a lot of my friends it's just a case of you know if you're not too friendly with them you just post a message on their facebook wall and that's that's kind of it yeah if you, you know if you don't get in touch so i guess uh providing a bit of the upsell um in that kind of communication makes a lot of sense you know it is a it is where people are going to when they're thinking about you know a time to wish you well
0: so um yeah you can definitely see it as a potential moneymaker for them what I enjoy about traveling and traveling to, you know, was in three different cities in a relatively short period of time, LA, San Francisco, to New York, particularly cities that are based very much on public transport, especially, I mean, New York, it's its a, a massive amount of people travel on the, on the transportation system. And I watch what they do on their phones and you can really pick up, um, you know, what are the popular apps and, and the amount of Facebook use in all these cities is just, is just unbelievable. But, which leads into our next story. What I noticed, particularly amongst 20-something females, is Instagram. A lot of the young females that pick up their phone, um, first thing is they log into Instagram. I was on the plane um, from New York to L.A., and when we landed and they said, you can pick up your phone, there was a 20-something girl in front of me. I watched her carefully. She picked up her iPhone, switched it on, went onto Instagram and scrolled through her feed. Now, there's some data that came out over the last few days that said in August, Instagram minutes on mobile was actually greater than Twitter minutes on mobile. Mm, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting metric. I mean,
1: it's, it's interesting enough to know if it's a sign for, for things to come. Whether people are moving away from the hundred and forty characters towards the sepia filter photos as way of communicating, but yeah
0: it's kind of kind of hard to know i think i mean I think it's opening up the space there's there's room for all of it it's 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 it's, it's different modes it's 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 like saying i don't know you know live music versus you know non like you know they all feed off each other of course people link their Instagram into their Twitter etc.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting metric of, uh, I, I mean, I maybe it says more about what Instagram is opposed to what Twitter is. I noticed that um, the unique users um, on Twitter, I think they were like uh, 29 million, whereas on Instagram it was only about 20 uh, uh 20 million, yeah, 20 million. Um, but the usage per user was a lot higher on Instagram than it was on was on Twitter, which led to those metrics. Um, so people obviously, you know, uh, spend more time reading through those, looking at the photos than they do, uh, you know, perusing the, the the tweets
0: these days. Yeah. And um, there's the backstory on that, that of course Facebook bought Instagram for $1 billion, Um but... Know, Twitter was clearly trying to buy Facebook, uh, not Facebook. Twitter was trying to buy Instagram as well, which would have really been a killer combination. So you know, Twitter, tw- uh, there's all sort of competitive forces on everyone, and particularly Twitter. Some, somehow, I think Facebook just th- their moat is a little bit bigger. They've got more users. You have you have you know grandmothers using Facebook. It's it's, it's critical mass. It's just. So huge, it's events, it's it's everything. Whereas Twitter, somehow, I I still feel that they they're still quite exposed. Well,
1: uh, Twitter, I mean, are, are Twitter really profitable at this point? I don't
0: look, th- yeah. I mean, they're a private companies still, so they don't release the numbers. Um, you know, they say they. And actually speaking with Adam, um, which w- we'll play his interview. Um, Later on in the podcast, when I was actually walking to lunch with him, he actually said the New York sales teams are always celebrating huge wins. Yeah. yeah. So he said that to me without much prodding. So yeah, look, they do have a compelling product, but um, the the fickle nature of social media just means you know Mm. things can change really quickly. Yeah. Um, one final story before we get to our interviews. I see that there's a, a not-for-profit that are encouraging people to use their 404 pages. That's the pages that, when you the web address is incorrect, and you usually get page not found. Using the 404 pages as um, promotion, well, not promotion, just um, profile and awareness of missing children. I, f- I thought that's a really and really clever um, thing to to do. It's an interesting
1: approach. That there was quite a debate actually on um, on Hacker News about this. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people thought it was really good, but other people thought it was um, a very strange mashup. I mean, people uh, when they're in the middle of looking for something, they've hit a bad link. You know, they're often in the action of searching for that link and to try and divert their attention away to another cause, probably not going to garner that much attention. It's just going to end up being confusing from a user interface perspective. So do you think it's a bit of a gimmick? A little bit. The, then people were talking about, you know, the actual statistics on how useful these things are and the fact that because so many of these things, you know, they have to be solved in the first 24 hours, otherwise, you know, whatever it is, 60% of people get killed or whatever in these missing children cases. Like, they're they're statistically been found to be basically useless and solving these crimes and you know so there was a lot of uh, derision about it but um really debate on hacker news <laughs> that's new <laughs> unusual usually consensus and uh, <laughs> often often it's it's negative anyway about the the content of the article but uh, yeah no it's um it, it's it is an interesting approach I, mean, I think it obviously would suit certain sites as well particularly if you have if you're a charity or you have some sort of social message, then then having that in your 404 is probably uh, quite a quite a good mashup and quite a good use of your or, space,
0: or, or even a news company where they they do like to get involved and in, you know they do have a bit of a broader social responsibility because they they provide a, a, a communal um, service de facto in a way. Mm. Um, Actually, you know, on the on the missing child angle, just as an aside, not really tech related, but I don't know if you remember, there was a a girl in Lake Tahoe, I think it was Jesse or J C Dugard. Anyway, she she was abducted when she was about seven years old, six seven years old, and they and um, very tragic story. And they found her thirteen years later. Anyway, she wrote a book about it, mm. and it's been on the the bestseller list for quite a while. And it's 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 obviously a very sad book. It it, it has a happy ending of sorts, mm. but um, yeah, it was a a real insight into in, in, into these cases. But um, so if anyone is looking for an interesting book to read, I think it's I think it's J C Dugard. You're listening to James Peter and Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast. Coming up. Um, Later on in the episode, we talked to Adam Shuck. I interviewed him in New York City. He works for Twitter in the New York City engineering office. So we'll be um, playing um, that interview. But coming up after the break, I spoke to Sheena Medina in New York City. She's the ex-social media manager at Fast Company, and we spoke about all things social media, freedom of speech, and some of the broader issues. So stay with us, and we'll be right back after this short break.
2: The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by ManageFlitter. With ManageFlitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back. Find new people to follow. Track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free Budgie account.
0: You're listening to Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast. I am sitting in the $10,000 a night presidential suite in a five-star hotel in Midtown Manhattan. Actually, no, I'm not. But that image did make me feel warm and fuzzy. I'm sitting in the Hotel Lobby in the Lower East Side of New York City, Manhattan. I'm here with Sheena Medina, who is... Um, well, I'll let, I'll let you introduce yourself.
3: Uh, hi, I'm uh, my name is Sheena. I'm a freelance social media strategist. I'm also a co-organizer for CM Meetup, which is a meetup group here in New York for community managers. And I previously was the community manager for Fast Company, which is a business magazine. So, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Appreciate you joining us. Uh, and, um, of course, you're a, you're a friend of Manage Flutter. You joined our, our um, we had a meet-up earlier this year, and uh, we had a few of our customers come along. So I thought I'd, I'd drag you in front of the microphone and um, talk about social media, which it really, um, every year seems to be the year of social media over the last few years, including this year.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a pretty exciting time, I think, um, to be in this industry now. It's just, it's changing, it's evolving so quickly. And, uh, you know, we're different now than we were a year ago, and, and that's different than when we were two years ago. So I think it's quite exciting, you know, the pace that we're really just moving along now. So yeah, it's pretty exciting.
0: So a lot of our clients, and even some of our managed Flutter users that we managed to talk with, they seem quite overwhelmed. I mean, social media seems to just be compounding. You know, we used to just have Facebook and Twitter and now there's, I mean, we could start, you know, talking about Instagram and Pinterest and Google Plus and Path and Cora and YouTube and, you know, and so it goes. How, how would you recommend as someone who's worked at Fast Company and, and is now, you know, involved and has got a, a, a bit of a helicopter view... What are some tips that you could give small companies, big companies to actually most effectively use their time and get and, and just get some some visibility and penetration and uh, you know, and and just really make sense of all the opportunities that are in front of them
3: mm-hmm. yeah that's that 's a good question actually um, and I think it 's most important for any brand or any company, especially when you 're just starting out the temptation is to try absolutely anything and everything that may or may not be authentic to the brand Um, and I think what's most important is to have clarity about what your goals are what your company is what you're doing who you're serving and then try a just try it a few things just start off with you know something simple Twitter and Facebook and go from there and I think, you know, you. from there you'll you'll start to realize, okay, our customers really like photos. And then maybe you can consider joining a platform like Pinterest. Um, but I just think it's most important to have clarity about your brand and who you're serving. And then from there you can start to figure out what's more authentic to your brand, what makes sense for your brand to join, you know, platform of the moment type of thing is is something that may not work out for you in the long run, you know. So I just think it's, it's more—it's more of a challenge to show some restraint and just invest more in the in um, a few communities, um, especially when you're just starting out, and just sort of see and let that guide you from there, where your customers are, where your where your audience is, and from there you can see, you know, sort of let that guide your strategy of how you want to expand to the other platforms.
0: When you use that word communities, to you know. In your toe in the communities and see how it works out do you think business is evolving to a stage where you know traditionally there was producer consumer essentially and now d- due to social media it's it, it's almost that producer consumer relationship is turning into a type of community around the brands and the products
3: um, yeah, I definitely think you know what's most appealing to me. You know, the promise of social media, especially when it first started, is that it was a way for us to sort of govern in a new way and participate in that. And it's it's really um, an opportunity for us as consumers to be to have a direct channel, a direct link to a brand or to a company, and know that someone is on the other other line listening. And you know that to to a consumer that's exciting. It's exciting for you to be able to have access to things that you never previously had access to or would not be able to have access to without this technology that enables us to sort of be involved or be connected with these companies and brands. So I definitely think there's a a strong sense of, you know, as consumers or as audience, we're, we're becoming more involved and more participatory in the, in, you know, in everything, but really in having a direct relationship with a brand or a company for sure
0: enterprise the enterprise world i mean if you a um you know an accounting company in midtown with 10 staff maybe 100 200 customers would you say that social media can contribute positively even to a a vanilla company like that
3: um yeah i think it, it really depends on what the goal is or what you know again go back to you know rule number one I guess which is just clarity about what your your company is and what your brand is but also um, really have a, a clearly defined idea or plan of you know why you're getting involved in this platform and what you hope to get out of it and I think that's the most challenging thing for you know any company or any brand is to is the measurement aspect is figuring out what are we trying to get out of this and how are we gonna measure those outcomes
0: Taking a bit of a left turn, I'd like your opinion on on I guess freedom of speech and um, social media. <laughs> You're laughing because uh, yeah, we tackle the big topics here. <laughs> Watch out, CNN. Um, the reason I bring it up is uh, recently in Australia, there's been issues with with uh, people trolling on Twitter, people really you know cyberbullying and abusing people. Um, there's there was uh, quite a tragic murder over the last few days in Melbourne and there's all the social media buzz that's happening, and actually the the police in Australia have come out and said, if everyone can just please cool it, because it's actually going to prevent a a, a sort of unbiased trial happening, which could actually ironically, uh, you know, have, have the opposite effect that people actually want, which is this alleged perpetrator to get behind bars. Have, I mean, are laws keeping up with, with the with social media and and the proliferation and the uh, and the fact that that people can just say what they want so quickly to large audiences how do we tackle this balance
3: mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely a challenge i think um, for government and for legislature um, because you know historically society has always moved at a faster pace than the government and so you know it's hard for them to really keep up with what's happening In real time, and I think with the you know us being in a a technology age or an information age, our our sense of what is real time is sort of accelerated. You know, now it's it's instant communication, it's instant access, it's instant contact. And I think you know, especially when you get into the topic of you know being a news organization and the, the dissemination of information over Twitter, especially when it comes to breaking news or live events, it's it's quite a challenge because. You know, information does spread so quickly, and the wrong information can spread very quickly. And it's all you have to do is click a button. You know, click retweet, and and you know, one miss, one wrong tweet, you know, can be spread to thousands of people. So, I think that's definitely a challenge. And I don't necessarily think the solution is to create laws that prohibit such a thing, because, you know, I I just think that you're going to take it in the wrong direction there. But I, I do think that. Um, it's important to acknowledge that this can happen on these platforms because they're so vast and because they're so fast um, and to just have a um, better understanding that, you know, we need to, in, especially in moments where there's uh, breaking news or, you know, live events that are happening, tragedies or, you know, earthquakes, things like that, we need to take a step back, you know. And I think in, the, in some cases, the traditional media, in a sense, like, um tv coverage cnn things like that those even with the delay that they have in getting information to you what we sense is a delay i think that is actually a help uh, because it creates another barrier for you to get the right information to people so i just think that we need to have a better understanding that yes things could go wrong in the moments, but we need to, in, in situations where live or you know breaking news is, is spreading across the internet we need to Take a step back and maybe go to an outlet, a more traditional outlet, a website, a news website, BBC, CNN, to maybe get our information in the heat of the moment, so that we not we're not spreading the wrong thing, you know. So I, I definitely don't think legislature is like the direction to take that. I
0: think that also just proves that there's there is a role for high quality journalism, you know, that's fact checking and writing a good story and getting the bigger picture and both sides is not going away anytime fast. Just because everyone can tweet doesn't mean that, you know, everyone's a journalist. Um, I mean, you know, the power of people such as, you know, Lady Gaga and Justin Bieber, just because of the the large number of followers, I guess, is is unprecedented. I was chatting to um, someone who works at Twitter earlier this week, and he said, I think, 5% of all Twitter traffic is related to Justin Bieber, which is which is massive, which is absolutely massive. So, um, yeah, uh, uh, as long as they use their force for good. <laughs> um, can you share any information about, I mean, you, you're based in New York. Um, we spoke to someone from SF City at TechCrunch Disrupt, which is an initiative to um, enhance San Francisco's Um, use of technology and make it attractive to technology companies Um, is there anything exciting that New York is involved with in terms of um, you know government 2.0 opening up their data APIs I see that they advertise some of their apps around Um, anything that you familiar with or have been involved with
3: Um, there's yeah I'm not involved with anything directly in terms of the city but I, I will say that there are some pretty exciting things happening um, in New York, in the tech space, um, in terms of government being involved and in, in getting more progressive, and um, just just with their initiative, I mean, the recently what you're talking about the advertisements on the on the MTA mm-hmm. uh, uh, platforms where we uh, there's you know several over 21 apps for uh, our transit system, and that was due to an initiative by the government. They had uh, a hackathon to create you know, the, the the next app, you know, to create the best transit app and what came out of that, what resulted out of that were some really cool applications where, you know, you could see the art if you wanted to know what, what art was being shown all over the, the subway lines or if you want to know what's happening on the weekend or sub, uh, service changes, things like that. I think there's some really exciting things happening. And, um, you know, Rachel, formerly Rachel Stern, but her name's Rachel Ho- Ho- Hoyt now. She just recently got married, but she... Is sort of spearheading that movement and she um, you know is involved with some pretty exciting projects for the city and I think taking it in an in a interesting and exciting direction for you know New York
0: but my understanding is there is still no cell coverage in the subways right which is sort of sort of ironic
3: yes it's quite annoying I will say you know um, I've traveled to Chicago quite a bit um, I'm from there and you know I always get surprised when I'm underground and I I I receive a text message and I forget you know that in other cities yes they have this already you know why don't we have it here in New York and I think it's you know represents a whole level you know maybe a challenge it could be the infrastructure it could be a lot of things but I also think it's a little bureaucratic maybe what's holding up you know getting us service down there which I think needs to happen sooner rather than later.
0: I think it's such an obvious, massive opportunity. I, s- I saw there's a couple of subway stations where Google Play have sponsored Wi-Fi in the subway stations.
3: Yes, yes, there are a few of them out there, and I remember being at one of one of them in particular. I think there is one in Brooklyn, in all of Brooklyn, um, and we need more of that. You know, we, we need beyond that. We need you know access. I think in, in terms into in the entire line, not just at you know certain subway stops, and not just for you know, the ability to send a text underground, but also for, I think it's a safety issue as well. You know, if something happens, there's an emergency, we can't really rely on, you know, it's like we're not connected down there. You know, we have to rely on who, the, the train driver, the, the, the station manager, which, you know, the, the person in the booth is not the most helpful. I will, I don't know what they're there for, but you know, I definitely think it's a, it's definitely an opportunity and it's even a safety concern in my, in my eyes. I
0: mean, it's uh, it seems a little bit archaic in a sense, and defeats the, um, in, in a way, the benefit of being in a city, uh, um, of, of being connected the whole time. Well, maybe we should, um, maybe we should, uh, yeah, get a get a bit of a lobby group going. I, I always, I think, in the Bart in San Francisco, I think they do have coverage. I know there was the recent controversy where the Occupy protesters had planned a protest, and I think they switched off the coverage. So that's, and I think that went all the way up to the FCC in terms of people saying, well, you can't just have, you know, public access to a network like that and then just use it to your own advantage. And I'd be interested to know where that's, what happened with that complaint. Um, They, and they claimed it was a a public safety reason that they switched it off. But quite an interesting um, case that happened. I think it was about six months ago or so. Wow. I I
3: didn't hear about that. I I didn't know about that. So it's great
0: you're on the east coast you're forgiven <laughs> sheena thank you very much for joining us on the it's a monkey podcast um we'll put your your twitter details up on the on the show notes and um look let's let's well, no doubt stay in touch and we would like to hear about what you're up to and, and there's always interesting bits and pieces going on in new york and hopefully next time we chat there'll be cell phone coverage in the new york subway
3: yes yes i would love that yes thank you so much for having me on the show and And just taking the time to sit down and chat with me. I always appreciate it. So thank you.
0: Talk with
2: you again. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back. Find new people to follow. Track keywords on Twitter. And schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code monkey2. At ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free Budgie account.
0: James uh, covered a few issues in that interview with Sheena Medina. Freedom of speech—I mean, that's 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 always a difficult one.
1: It's always tough. It's always tough. And as we as we add our technology, it just becomes a, a more global issue, and uh, and everybody and uh, everybody has to deal with it at some point. But. Um, yeah um, it's it's hard it's hard to know where to, where to draw the line obviously in our in the western society you know we we uh we're very pro um freedom of speech and believe everybody should say what they want but you know sometimes you have to view it from the other person's point of view as well and just as we don't want our views imposed on other people you know they don't necessarily want their views our views imposed on them so
0: there was a recent case in new york while i was there where um there was a political organization or lobby organization that wanted to place an ad, quite a provocative ad, and the metro authority didn't want to place it. They took it right up to the high courts, and it's got knocked back and said, "Yep, they, you have to, you have to display this due to freedom of speech." And they displayed it, and th- there's been all sorts of issues around it. It's it's one of these things that uh, you know everyone wants to support in theory, but when it's, it doesn't support your views, it's it's mm. not always that easy to. Um, to support, yeah, it can uh,
1: it be? Can sometimes ideals can go out the window as soon as <laughs> as soon as it offends you. So, yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough one. But um, you know, obviously, still we we do pretty well on the whole. I think in uh, in Australia and and uh, the US and a lot of the Western countries in terms of protecting it. So, you know, I don't think there's any big drama so far. But it's important to keep talking about it and pointing out these cases where things aren't necessarily right because it keeps the social pressure on people.
0: Absolutely. I mean um, and someone did remind, you know, there's been all sorts of debate lately in Australia about this topic and someone said, you know, if, when people tweet and put things on Facebook and Google Plus, they are subject to all the laws that newspapers and journalists and everything else is subject to all the defamation laws and incitement to, you know, violence laws and and, and things like that. Mm-hmm.
1: It always reminds me of um, was it Isaac Asimov book or was it was some other science fictiony book I was reading and it was sort of envisioning a far future where I mean every time you say something and it goes to other people you're kind of passing on your ideas and your and, and your concepts and and on some respect you're almost responsible for those those ideas you pass on to people and if you do you know incite violence and incite hate or whatever then you know. Can you be held accountable? You know, where do you you draw the line on these things? And uh, it was envisaging a future where, you know, people basically just didn't talk to each other because there were so many laws that prosecuted people. You know, if people were, you know, if somebody committed murder after reading something you wrote, then you would be accused of the crime and all this kind of stuff. So it's a very very interesting area, and societies can go one way or the other on it, but... uh
0: Look, I mean, having grown up in South Africa in the 80s, where there was you know, obviously very complicated political problems, there were m- the people were scared of having political discussions. You mm-hmm. know, I, I remember being you know, a young kid, and, and I remember people getting very nervous if anyone would bring up anything political, be it about the government of the day or the ANC, which was a banned organization at the time, and, and I remember vividly, you know, because at that time people were disappearing for what they said. And, mm-hmm. it's, and, and you know, it makes me very much appreciate the, the wonderfully free environment of the, the West today. I mean, I, I was, you know, in New York last week and the UN was in session. And you had the, you know, the leader of Iran staying in a hotel in Newtown, uh, Newtown in Midtown, and i and i th- i thought it's you know kudos to america type thing you mm. know it, it's 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 just sort of still give voice to that you know and there, i mean a lot of people had problems with uh, with that clearly and there were demonstrators outside his hotel constantly but it is an incredibly important um, you know freedom in society that underpins so much but of course there there is a line to the the incitement and and, and obviously, social media things can just become mob mentality and lynch mentality so quickly mm. um, that can cause problems. Yeah, as soon as you have a culture of, uh, of locking down on,
1: on freedom of speech, then, you know, it can lead to all kinds of things. I used to live in um, Bahrain, which is in the Middle East. It's had a lot of political violence over the past year and even back then when I used to live there it was was a similar sort of thing like any political discussions you know people would be very very cautious about it people were kicked out of the country for you know saying the wrong thing at work and you kind of see that slippery slope happening Um, you know even just while I was there it was it was getting worse and worse and um, yeah it just led to all of these uh, un- all this unrest and uh, and you know, people getting killed in the streets and tanks coming in and all this kind of stuff that's happened over the past year, so
0: yeah, we're very lucky to live in a, a free society where we, we can we can say so much and the limitations, especially in Australia at least, of defamation and, um, and I, I think inciting violence is, is a crime as well, I would imagine Yeah, there the, the definitely is
1: some stuff I, I think I've yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure people have been prosecuted here for I it.
0: I think there's also some racial vilification laws. Um, I think they mm. do vary across states, but th- there, there are obviously some limitations which, which do make sense. But for the most part, in Australia, it works, works pretty well. Um, maybe we should um, pivot our podcast to <laughs> <laughs> something non political. <laughs> Everyone in our industry <laughs> likes to pivot. <laughs> so, um, anyway, after the break, we're going to be talking with Adam Shuck, who works at Twitter, um, Australian, who landed up at Twitter, Google, then Twitter, clearly a smart guy. So stay with us. And we'll be talking with Adam after the break. You're listening to James Peter and Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast.
2: The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by ManageFlitter. With ManageFlitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back. Find new people to follow. Track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code monkey two at manageflitter to receive a one month free budgie account.
0: Here we are, you're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast with Kevin Garber. I'm sitting in Bryan Park, New York City, spring day. No, it's not a spring day, it's an autumn or fall day. And I've managed to drag out of the Twitter New York offices, Adam Shuck. Adam, is an engineer, or well, actually Adam, what's, what's your actual role at uh, title at Twitter? Hi there, I'm Adam. I'm, I'm actually an engineering
4: manager for the discovery team. So that means I've got a team of software engineers, PhDs, we're all working on some really interesting next-gen stuff for what is under the discovery
0: tab on Twitter. So when people hit the discover tab, that's you and your team? That's exactly right. Actually one of our um, One of our new recruits recently, when I was chatting to her, um, that was the first thing she said when I said, what do you love about Twitter? She said, when I hit the Discover tab, I don't know, somehow they just know what I'm interested in. So something's working. (laughs) Absolutely. I think what we've got up there right
4: now, we see is a very early version. We've got some really big ideas on how we can make the Discover tab show you exactly what you want to see when you look at it. What's the space?
0: So... um, Let's just take a step back quickly. Um, Twitter is obviously one of these intriguing companies that everyone loves. Um, w- tell us a little bit about the culture at Twitter. What's it like to work there? Twitter's a,
4: a really amazing and unique place. I think, so my, my background, I used to work at Google in Australia. And Google is an amazing company, but it got a little bit too big for me. And it was hard to make impact. And what really excited me about Twitter is it's in this perfect place this balance between the impact an individual can make and also the opportunity in terms of the problems you're taking on so right now everybody's really working on something that they believe in that can make a difference and we have this very unique culture of experimentation we move very quickly you can have a a great idea of what's gonna be new on Twitter and push it out there within a matter of weeks or months
0: That's really exciting to me. Now, putting a devil's advocate hat on, um, Facebook would say weeks, weeks, it takes weeks to push code. I mean, don't you guys iterate faster than that? We,
4: We iterate on a level of days, but I'm talking about having that really big idea and
0: investing in the infrastructure and the systems to do that and what type of um, what type of technologies do you guys use i mean first just tell us a little bit about you know the stack that you use i know in the early days there was it was you know ruby on rails type of situation what what's in your toolbox at the moment we're definitely
4: maturing as a company in the technical infrastructure and we're starting to head towards more of a a java scala jvm based infrastructure but to me personally and my team the part that excites me is we're doing some heavy data processing, and so that's using Hadoop technologies. And my favorite piece of technology, which actually came out of Twitter, is called Storm. And this is all about real-time processing. So I, I always look at, at Google as the innovator in terms of uh, they they figured out how to solve problems at scale. And I look at Twitter and I think our our unique technical challenge, unlike any other company. Is we're all about real time we're trying to figure out what is happening now so we're building some amazing infrastructure to solve these these
0: big data problems immediately and I mean in terms of the collaborative um, development environments do you guys use things like Yammer, Basecamp, I mean, t- t- can you give us a little bit of an insight to, so y- you know, GitHub? What? Wh- how do you guys collaborate?
4: We collaborate collaborate a lot along the usual ways, I guess you say, of email, IM. We also use chat rooms. Um,
0: what type of chat rooms? Internally developed stuff or just something like IRC?
4: Uh, some, something pretty standard we're using. Uh, I think we're using Campfire. I think that's common knowledge within the company. Um, We also use Twitter in a very interesting way. It's very interesting, people use Twitter to talk about what's going on inside the company and communicating
0: with each other. Via their public Twitter accounts or do you have a...
4: Via via their public Twitter accounts. You can sometimes see when the company's having a really exciting all hands meeting, because a lot of people are tweeting about announcements. We're, We're a surprisingly transparent company. Um, I, I always thought there's a few other big players that were very open, and Twitter has just blown me away with how much code is actually open sourced, uh, and also in terms of our communications. There's not, you know, we don't have so many deep dark secrets. We really we, we've got a
0: pretty strong vision, and everyone's united around that. Well, since we talk, since you brought up the topic of deep dark secrets, <laughs> and um, <laughs> are you allowed to talk a bit about um, the, the whole? platform api obviously there's been a lot of changes and um um, you know i think even someone at twitter one of the engineers tweeted that he doesn't support it and um that tweet stayed up and twitter said it's fine we're you know we're happy for internal debate and dissent what's your view on the the evolution of the platform in in, in tightening the sort of boundaries and limits of of integrating with the api and using the twitter api so i think
4: you know, my position, I'm much better to comment on the discovery product than that part of the system. But in general, I think what Twitter is going through right now is we're absolutely focused on building the product that is best for all of our users. And historically, Twitter hasn't been able to innovate so rapidly because we need to support a whole number of different constraints with the platform, the API. So, any measures that are being taken now. Firstly, I don't think I think there's this perception that we're locking down the platform, and I think there's a number of changes coming out with the platform that actually are
0: improvements for users of the platform,
4: um, higher rate uh, limits, etc.
0: Yeah, and I agree. And we actually put a blog post out that actually pointed that out that there that there are actually improvements um, to it. So it's it's I think people are just um, developers that have yeah. Sorry, I'll let you finish. No, absolutely. I mean uh, that's good to hear that. I think people have there's a lot of
4: companies out there that are built on top of the Twitter API and change can be disruptive I think ultimately Twitter's going through a really exciting transformational phase right now, and where we end up afterwards it's going to be for the net benefit of the users and the and the developer ecosystem
0: yeah I think I think I, I think what's highlighted to me through this whole API debate and discussion is the the human element around it I think people people can't sometimes take it a bit personally if uh, some of the developers I guess felt that they were owed a little bit more love for, for um, their role in, 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 in taking Twitter to where it is today. Absolutely. Um, so the future, I mean can you talk about anything that is upcoming be it on the Discover tab or any other aspect?
4: I'll definitely tell you that there's some exciting stuff coming with the Discover tab very soon. Uh, in general, you know what you see today—it's a list of 10 stories that we think are relevant to you—and there's so much more that we can do to get you deliver you content, especially if you just use your imagination for a bit. Your mobile phone—it knows where you are, it knows what you're, in, you know, it, it knows your contacts. We have, a, based on what you tweet about, you've given us this information on what you are interested in and I think we can really capitalize on that and build an amazing product so that it just feels like magic when you log into the discover tab.
0: The discover tab on the mobile doesn't currently um, sort of geolocate you and, and factor in stories based on that? Actually the discover tab does do that
4: so if you'll find that if you're in Australia versus if you're in America versus if you're in Japan we, d- we do actually use this information um, but currently the level of, of how we use that information is very coarse grain. I think we can really make that much more compelling.
0: Okay, Adam, I know I know you I know you have to um, have to have to head off. One last question: Are you guys um, are you guys hiring? I know some of our listeners would be uh, would love to work for for Twitter.
4: Absolutely, uh, Twitter New York, especially. I think we've got an amazing thing going on in New York, where we feel like a startup, in that we're a very small, energized team. And I personally think we're working on some of the most interesting stuff at Twitter. We're, we're basically taking this massive, amazing data people are generating publicly on Twitter and we're trying to figure out how to get the most interesting, fresh, real-time content out of it. So absolutely, if anyone's
0: looking for work out there, <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> what's, what's the, do they just go to Twitter.com and have a look at um, the available positions? What's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely.
4: Twitter.com slash jobs. Um, also, my Twitter handle. Worth mentioning, yeah. Sure, my Twitter handle is all shook up, but the shook is spelled like my
0: surname, which is SCHUCK. And we'll we'll link to that um, as well when we, you know, with the podcast, so people will be able to sort of connect with you. And of course, you left the biggest announcement for last that Twitter is buying managed flitter. today for (laughs) what was it I don't know what he's talking (laughs) about (laughs) I think we rounded it up you said you need it it needs to be less than 50 million
4: million,
0: (laughs) (laughs) maybe yeah look we're not for sale Adam you know you you guys keep on pitching us we just you know Uh, we'll back
4: off a little bit sorry about that Kevin didn't mean to cause you stress (laughs) you know
0: guys try to buy you you said we're not for sale and you're trying to buy us we're not for sale Adam, Shuck, um, from the Discover team at Twitter, I really appreciate your time, and uh, maybe we can chat to you in a few months with a bit of an update of what you guys are up to. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Appreciate it. Thanks. James, what do you think?
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. Adam's an interesting guy. (laughs) Obviously, uh, yeah, no, he shared, shared a few views. Obviously, it's a bit of a, it's always tough when you work for a big company as to, how much you, how much you share, and how much you you keep yourself, but um, I yeah.
0: did. I, I did many times, actually. You know, I said to him, you know, if there's uh, if there's any issues or, and he was, he was didn't think twice. Said no, no, no problems. He, um, you know, it was lunchtime in New York City. It was a beautiful day. He was under a bit of time pressure, so I just wanted to squeak through the interview, but. Um, I I mean, I get the impression from people I know who work at big companies. It's not necessarily
1: that you're going to lose your job, or you're going to get, or you, or you, you know, you're no, you're going to suffer any ill consequences of saying something. You know, if you have a diverse uh, opinion, but moreover, it's just kind of a social pressure. Like you don't want to, you know, you know, you got to work with these people, and it's if you political. say something, it's going to get back to you. Yeah, it's a political thing, so you have to you have to be careful what you say. Obviously, it's not going to, you know, you can't forget yeah. it in five minutes. Yeah, and and you and
0: you can't expect people to be, you know, hyper critical for no rhyme or reason, and y- y- you know, you are. You would imagine that they would share the vision in a broader sense, but, uh, I mean, the Discover tab. Do you use? The, do you hit the Discover tab ever?
1: Uh, personally, I don't. I mean, it's not. Um, you know, you know, I've never been a huge fan of uh, automated content discovery. Um, I just think at this point nobody's really got it right so far um and i mean i have the, of the times i have tried the discover tab it hasn't really picked up stuff that that i a didn't know already or b it was stuff i just wasn't interested in so
0: you see you've got the challenge in that you the super talented developer so whenever you find something you th- and you, you vision how how, how much uh, you, you know how how you would do it and probably refine it in a way. Well, I guess the problem
1: is is that I like I read a lot of stuff anyway. I'm reading TechCrunch, I'm reading Reddit and that kind of stuff. I'm you know I'm always kind of on top of the tech news. So for these discovery mechanisms, they have to like there's no way they can know what I've already read. Um, well, no way yet. Um, so it's kind of hard for them to to pick up new stuff that you don't already know. But um, you know, I guess as this technology becomes more perverse, uh, you know. Uh, perverse and pervasive. Pervasive. That's the <laughs> word I was looking for, not perverse. <laughs> um, as it becomes more pervasive, um, you know, will uh, there'll be more channels on which, which you know, people can target content? And that's obviously what Twitter's trying to do. Um, you know, I don't think they're there yet. Doesn't work for me.
0: Obviously, work for some people. You know, you know, I don't use the Discover tab either. But I've got a bit of a pet theory about the Discover tab that people that join Twitter. You know, a long time ago, when the Discover tab um, didn't exist, don't tend to use it. But people mm. that have joined it over the last, I don't know, year or two, three, maybe year or two, um, tend to use it. I'm, I'm still so locked into, you know, when I first started using Twitter in 2008, that I still, you know, the, 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 the new profile pic and... A few other features, even just the way they now embed images and things like that, are still somehow just. No, I'm, I'm, not totally. It's, it still jars me a little bit that there's in-stream pictures. I'm just so used to clicking on the links and TwitPix and things like that, which is now longer not even available.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, they're trying to move the product somewhere else. Um, it's gonna. I don't. It's going to be interesting to see where it, where it ends up. They're obviously uh, continuing to trickle trickle things into the feature list and the, the timeline, just like the um, the profile picture, which uh, Adam wouldn't comment on.
0: Yeah. Um, actually, if you listen to this podcast, you probably wouldn't have heard that because I, I edited it out, but I did ask Adam... Um, Know, his thoughts in the profile pic, and he was like, mm, you know, he, 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 for whatever reason, he didn't want to comment on that. Um, but if, uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you're you know, interested in Twitter, there was an interesting interview with the CEO of Twitter, Dick Costello, on Charlie Rose. And Charlie Rose, I don't think he's that well-known out of America. Um, I don't think he's that well. He's not that well-known in Australia, is he, James? Uh, no, I don't. Didn't really. So, know so Charlie Rose is, is, I think he interviews on the equivalent of SBS, pu- the, the public broadca- one no, of the public right. broadcasters there, and he's, he's got a lot of credibility in being a, an unbiased interviewer. Anyway, he interviews the CEO of Twitter, and uh, it, it's quite an interesting um, interview. So uh, just Google Dick Costello and Charlie Rose, but yeah, look, certainly interesting times at Twitter. So it's uh, Monday, the 1st of October, um, 2012. It's the end of episode number five. Thank you for joining us and listening to us. Please tweet us at monkeypodcast. Please email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. Tell your friends about us. We'd like to keep this podcast going. We'd like to know if you enjoy it or you don't enjoy it. We love feedback. And until next time, it is goodbye from myself, Kevin Garber, And yep, catch you later